This week's episode of the Stretch Four Fantasy Basketball Podcast is brought to you by Underdog Podcasts. So for the last seven months, we've been fortunate to be hosted by Underdog, and they've been invaluable to us in our growth as a fantasy basketball podcast. Without them, we wouldn't have the reach, the audience, or the platform to talk to you guys on a weekly basis. So just want to give a special shout out to them and thank them for all the hard work that they've done to get us to this point. With that being said, really excited to announce that we will be joining Blue Wire uh, going forward. So make sure you subscribe, check us out on Blue Wire's podcast network, and we'll continue to bring you fire basketball content through the rest of the season and beyond. So really excited about it. Thank you, Underdog, for letting us get to this point, and let's get into the show. The Stretch Four Fantasy Basketball Podcast with your hosts, Dan Titus and fantasy experts, Zach Hanshu and Adam Koffler. What's good, NBA fans and fantasy sports enthusiasts? It's your boy, Dan Titus, here with the Stretch Four Fantasy Basketball Podcast. And we are officially on Blue Wire Pods, man. This is a big moment for us. Uh, thank you to Underdog Podcast for hosting us to this point, but... Shit, guys, are we in the big leagues now? Like, did we kind of make a little bit? Can we, can we, can we talk about that for a moment? I feel like I, f- I feel like Team Nigeria, man, just coming up and uh, <laughs> moving, moving up and moving up in the world. What about you, Zach? Don't jinx us, guys. I mean, I, I feel like we've kind of fooled enough people into thinking that we're we're doing something good here to this point. <laughs> don't don't jinx it, man. Now, nah, yeah, excited to be real. on Blue Wire, man. No, it's it's some good stuff. Yeah, speaking of good stuff, man, we're keeping it rolling. We've had some amazing guests in this offseason, and it just keeps getting better, man. So we are lucky to have the host of the Noble and Roosh show, sponsored by Ball is Life, on deck here. Roosh Williams, what's good, man? Nice to have you on the show. Thanks for having me on, man. I'm happy to be here. Excited. Congratulations to y'all for getting on Blue Wire. It's awesome. I know what it's like when, you know, you, you land the shot. It feels good. So that's awesome. Awesome to be here. Yeah, feel that, man. And, you know, just reading your story and about how you used to grind, um, you know, we're pretty self-made ourselves, man. Like, we started this fantasy thing, what, six months ago, not knowing where this was going to end up. And to, to get here with our blood sweat, man, it's, it's, it feels good to kind of get a W in there. So, yeah, just want to talk to you about your story, man. I know you've had a, a pretty interesting career change here. Like, you started out as a math teacher and then, wanted to do the LSATs. So maybe you had a lawyer visions of being a lawyer. And then, then you had an aspiring rap career too, and had some pretty dope artists that you partnered with, which is crazy. Like Scarface action Bronson, just crazy. So how did you get into hoops, man? Like, what was that transition like? Yeah. Yeah, man. So, um, just for chronological purposes, I, uh, I came out of college. I was doing, I was, I was booking shows and doing the rap stuff in college. And then I finished and I would kind of hustle, um, hustle different jobs on the side of that. And then I substitute taught. So I wasn't, I wasn't a math teacher. I did sub for some math classes, but I substitute taught. Okay. Um, and then, then I transitioned, I took the LSAT and went to law school and now I'm a lawyer, but, um, man, ball is life. Like I linked up with Zach. I think you guys have had, have had Zach Noble on the show. Shout out to him. My idiot partner got a lot of love for Zach. <laughs> um, and you know, man, it's, it's kind of weird. I just started letting the tweets fly. Like my account, my Twitter account was my my music account, you know, that's what I used to use it for. And then I went to law school and I kind of fell back and I stopped tweeting um, heavy. And if I did, I was just kind of like bullshitting. Um, and then 
I just started tweeting about the Rockets nonstop. Obviously, I'm a, I'm a lifelong Rockets fan, lifelong basketball fan since, you know, I don't know, I was four or five years old, 93, 94. But I just started letting tweets fly. They started sticking. And then I got invited on the Locked On Rockets podcast, if you know, the Locked On Network. And from there, man, it just kind of took off. People started, you know, paying attention to my tweets, caring about my tweets a little bit more. Um, and then, like I said, when I met Zach, uh, we partnered with Ball is Life. We actually talked to Blue Wire. Shout out to Blue Wire. I got love for Blue Wire. Um, but we were, you know, we're rocking with Ball is Life. It's a lot of fun. We've had some cool guests on our show. So uh, for anyone listening, check out the Noble and Rue show. Type it in with the ampersand, the and sign. You have a better chance of having it populate. Um, but yeah, man. So it's been fun. You know, I'm, I'm really, I'm really happy for where it's going and where it's where it's gone. And um, you know, you build it brick by brick, day by day, right? Every day, a couple of new followers trickle in, and you just try to keep pumping out relevant. I hesitate to say content. I don't know if I have content, but I tweet and I say things and I do videos. So you know, check it out. That's dope. That's dope, man. Uh, we can't let you off the hook here, though, with this uh, this rap stuff that you used to do. Uh, I, I was doing a little bit of research myself. Uh, saw a cool YouTube video you with Sway back in 2015. He actually mentioned that you were you were a top 10 rapper coming out of Houston, uh, named by Complex Magazine. Talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so sorry. I, I kind of skipped over that. Um, so... I don't even start that, man. That's something I was doing at like a very, very low level since like sixth, seventh grade, you know, to 2001, maybe 2000, 2001. Um, very, very low level. Right. And then I got to a point where I, I think I was pretty decent and it started catching on like around college campuses and stuff. And, and I kind of had a, a pretty good buzz in Texas. Um, and man, I would just do a bunch of shows. Like I did, like I, I would dominate the college circuit, you know, college shows. I did a ton of shows in college with J. Cole, Mac Miller, rest in peace, Lupe Fiasco, I don't know, Bun B, we did G-Eazy, that was afterwards, Chance the Rapper, that was afterwards, I forget the chronology of it all, Yellow Wolf, ton of people, I'll, I'll probably forget the names, but I just started busting shows, um, did South by Southwest, you know, four or five years in a row, and that's how I started meeting a bunch of people, that's where I met Action Bronson at South by Southwest, um, and that's how we linked up, and you know, I just used the internet as a tool, you know, back then, it was still the blog era. So I don't know if y'all remember anything about the blog era, but blogs were big. And, you know, Twitter was a little less relevant. Um, I mean, not less relevant, but it wasn't what it is today. And um, streaming services hadn't like fully hit yet when I was like in the, the big, big thick of it. So like Spotify was just kind of catching on. Apple Music was just starting to, you know, copy what Spotify was doing, right? Tidal wasn't really Tidal yet. So like, it was kind of the wild west. Um, and, you know, I took, I took a lot of advantage of grassroots type things, like running around the city. I was everywhere in the city, every event, um, you know, any networking event, like I was there shaking hands, people knew who I was, that whole thing. Um, and then you just start getting booked and you start making connections and, you know, like obviously Complex highlighted what I did when I had that album run, which was the last full album I put out in 2015. We were on Sway. We were in the cover of the Houston Chronicle the same day we were on Sway. It's one of the craziest days I've yeah. ever had. Um, you know, and it's just like a, I don't know, an avalanche, a snowball, it snowballs down and then it turns into like something bigger, you know, which I'm sure you guys have found as you're building your podcast, like, you know, one day, no one's listening a couple weeks, 20, 30 people are listening a couple months, a couple hundred people are listening. And then you just start realizing like, oh, more and more and more people actually realize what we're doing. Um, 
And if you just keep your foot on the gas and you, you know, you got to take a couple shots and if they land, like dots start connecting. Right. And so that's how a lot of those things happen. Um, I feel really fortunate to have linked up with Action Bronson, Scarface, Devin, the dude, Paul Wall and Baby Bash put me on one of their albums in 2016. Just a ton of stuff, man. Um, kind of rub shoulders with a lot of people. And I, I don't take that for granted. Yeah, I was going to say, and that it kind of translates to, you know, your your networking ability in the in the NBA world, too. Um, you know, you have a lot of guests on your show, just most recently Bismack Biombo. Um, how have you translated some of that hustle that you that you did in the rap game to kind of how you're navigating these NBA circles? Um, you know, obviously you 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 have a, a liking to the the Houston Rockets, but uh, this ball is life platform has pretty much exposed you to a whole new world of of opportunity and, and networking and really just your appreciation of the game right by chopping it up with the uh nba superstars and 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 players throughout around the league yeah man that's a great point um hell of a dude to pay right hey bismack talk to me paying my dues baby no. <laughs> but but um no you I mean you're right right because you learn how to from when i was hustling and grinding and doing all that i really learned how to build something brick by brick, not to wait around, not to, not to limit myself, right? Like when you start dealing with certain people, like, look, man, when I was doing what I was doing, I got a lot of love from a lot of people that I grew up listening to and respecting, you know, like Bun B. I don't know if you know who Bun B is. I don't know if y'all listen to UGK or whatever, but I remember Bun B one time backstage after I did a show, he was just chilling backstage. And that happened a lot in Houston, you know, like uh, a lot of the legends would, just be chilling and they'd see you on any given night. And I came back into the back and he just like tapped me on the shoulder and he was like, yo, you're dope, keep going. And like, just that little thing boosts your confidence to a level where you realize, you know what? I fit in, I do belong, you know, like, and so that translates to the podcast, right? It's like, I don't feel nervous talking to these people. I don't feel like lesser. I also know how to deal with people of stature. Um, because at the end of the day, man, everyone's, they're just humans, you know, they just want to talk. Yeah. You just got to figure out something to get them talking about that makes them comfortable so that they can open up. You know, a lot of people kind of may talk to someone that they view of stature, like talking up to them, you know, but, but people don't really like that. Some people might like that. Everyone's not the same, but you just got to understand how to talk to people. And so I think, I guess my point is my past has allowed me to feel comfortable doing what I'm doing now without feeling awkward about it and without feeling like, you know, I don't deserve it. Cause I think that's the most important part, you know? Um, and yeah, man, it, you talk about the platform of ball is life. My advice to anyone listening would be learn how to connect some dots. You have to learn how to boost your own value first. Like what makes you valuable separate from any platform or anything? Why would anyone care to listen to you? What is the value you're providing? And once you figure that out, you connect with a platform or with people or with an, an application, whatever it is, a brand um, that can amplify you and that you also contribute value to. Something organic. Everyone always loves to overuse the word organic, but it's true. Something just, just that just makes sense. You know, I talk basketball, ball is life is basketball. I think what I say is relevant and it works out. And so when you find that, it all just kind of naturally connects and clicks and, you know, things start to work out. And I didn't even make, mean to make this a TED talk, but shit, drop it. Sorry. No, no, this is great stuff, man. Because I know that I'm sure a lot of the audience out there is still trying to, you know, either they're trying to figure out how to get into the fantasy game or maybe they want to start talking on behind the mic. So very inspiring stuff here. So I know that you based in L.A. Have you had a chance to check out the Drew League? And are you planning on going to the summer league as well? Um, 
And then we also like the, the game last night, wanted to get your thoughts on USA's surprising loss to Nigeria. I'm sure you saw that. So I didn't watch the game. Um, I didn't watch the USA Nigeria game. I was watching the fights, um, which Conor McGregor broke his ankle, which was crazy. But, um, but the what was the first thing you asked me? I had an answer. Uh, the, the Drew, the Drew League. Drew League. Uh, okay, so I'm currently in Houston right now. Um, I'm based in LA. I'm currently physically in Houston, so I don't know if I'll make it this year. But I made it in 2019, and I always talk about this on Twitter. I saw Lamelo Ball there. And that was a really eye-opening experience for me. The Drew was, is an awesome experience. If you ever have a chance, go check it out. It's like a high school gym. It was actually, a, I think, a community college gym, but it's got like the high school vibe, you know? They got like both sides out, um, both sides of the bleachers. And, you know, you can just kind of sit there and you just feel like you're in a high school game. But at the same time, you notice that there's like a lot of kind of high-profile people there, right? Uh, that's the first place I met LeVar Ball at the Drew. Um, I saw Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers sitting courtside at the Drew. That's dope. Right? Um, but when I saw LaMelo, man, it was it was really eye-opening because I think he was maybe 18 at the time, 17 or 18. And he had just hit his growth spurt. And I think he had just left Lithuania. And he was so good. Like, I was on the fence about LaMelo because I just wasn't sure how he, that the shot was kind of funky to me. And I wasn't sure about his body type translating just from what I had seen. Um, not that my evaluation mean, means anything or meant anything at the time because I wasn't like studying him. I had just seen him. But then when I saw him up close at the Drew, I was like, whoa, this kid's going to be so good. And he is. Um, so if you ever get a chance to like see players up close at the Drew, Montrez Harrell was also there when I went to the Drew that, that same year. And he looked really unimpressive, like really not impressive. He was getting like handled on the block by, you know, whoever was there, non like NBA players, right? So I thought that was interesting as well, because it kind of shows like uh, how a guy like Montrez, for example, could benefit from playing around better players and doing his role, right? Catching it, like moving to the basket with, with momentum, getting in a pick and roll. Like he was not effective on the block in the Drew League. It was, it was weird to watch. Um, but yeah, Team USA, man, like I said, I didn't watch the game. Um, but just looking at the team, I mean, I didn't think they were going to lose to Nigeria. So that's pretty embarrassing. But what I will say about their performance is I hope that people, I don't know how old y'all are. I don't know what era of basketball y'all are from, but I see a lot of people like maybe Gen Z or whatever, like the super young kids just go to, go to basketballreference.com, pull up the stats and say, Oh my God, like, you know, the fools in the nineties couldn't mess with these guys. Look, he's scoring 30 points per game on 61% TS, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. And you saw what those boys just did to Nigeria. They got beat, right? Like you have Kevin Durant, uh, who else was Bam was out there? Was Bradley Beal out there? Beal was out Bradley there. Beal was out there. Scored two points, man. Two points. Okay. Yeah. Unbelievable. So like, the game ain't all stats. I, I just hope that that's the baseline takeaway. Like you can't just throw. It's not 2K. I feel like 2K has desensitized a lot of basketball fans, younger basketball fans, to stats and like individual scoring ability taking over. And it's like, nah, man. At the end of the day, it's a team game. Skills matter. IQ matters and rhythm matters. Chemistry matters. Obviously, these fools don't have any chemistry, I would imagine. Like I said, I didn't watch it, but I mean, they just lost to Nigeria and they got some pretty top-notch NBA players out there. So that's kind of my takeaway is like, don't underestimate the value of roles on a team and don't underestimate the value of rhythm and chemistry. Because sometimes, like I said, we sit there and we, we focus on stats, but we just lose that basketball element of it, you know? 
So yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy the way that the world is just getting better. The world at large. Um, the Nigeria squad is coached by Mike Brown, and they were pushing the pace. Man, Precious Achua played great. I actually watched the game late night on replay, and uh, yeah, my biggest takeaway was the international game's different. Man, like the physicality of it. Beal was out there begging for calls. So was Kevin Love. You know that that physicality is definitely different. So it's going to take some adjustments. But overall, at the end of the game, Pop and Tatum were like, "We need to lose this game now." Because, you know, now we at least we know, you know, we, we got to play it up to better standards and, and have more team chemistry. So you're exactly right there. Everybody's so, going to yeah. everybody's going to be coming at the USA's neck, like even in an exhibition game, like you're going to see, you know, every team's best against them. Like much like, you know, teams that play the Lakers with LeBron or teams that played the Warriors when they had Steph Clay and uh, Draymond and KD like they they're going to get every team's a game. Uh, so it's no game is going to be easy exhibition or, or regardless. To add on to your point, Dan, um, from the highlights that I saw, I was impressed and surprised by Nigeria's ability to like come off screens and just hit threes. Like that's not a thing I had previously seen at the world level um, against Team USA, at least coming off like screens and just like catching and shooting and movement. I don't remember the last time I saw a team do that and beat us with it. You know, I remember like some of the maybe the Argentina, Spain teams, they move the ball so well. And they just have such good chemistry that it's kind of like um, it's kind of like when you play some pickup and you run into a squad of friends that's been playing together and like they just know where they're at and you can't do anything to them. But I, I hadn't previously recalled seeing teams like Nigeria coming off like the elbow and catching and like fading and hitting threes. So that was kind of wild. Yeah, that was that was me and Coughler at one time or another. And, uh, <laughs> pressing 24 hours back in the day. Were you Gabe um, Vincent or what? <laughs> I mean, the way he was shooting last night, shit, I'll Bruh. take it. Um, <laughs> But yeah, let's talk about some summer league stuff. Bruce, want to know have, what have you heard from the the Houston camp of who's going to be participating in summer league? You know, this year we're going to have like all the NBA teams participating. So I think it's a really cool opportunity that uh, maybe some young bucks that uh, got some time. Like, do you think Jay Sean Tate has earned enough? Um, this, has he earned enough respect in the league to not even have to play? I mean, the dude made all all rookie team and definitely exceeded expectations. So I would say I haven't officially heard anything from anybody. Um, I did talk to Armani Brooks, who was with the Rockets. He's not under contract with the Rockets right now. He might, they might bring him back. He's supposed, when I talked to him, he said he was supposed to play, either play in the summer or definitely be working out with Houston in the summer, whether he actually plays on a summer league team or not, I'm not sure. I think Jay Sean Tate's beyond the summer league at this point. 25. I think he proved a lot this season. Um, he was first first team all rookie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so I think he's he's really, especially watching him play, he's just got the veteran type presence. I think the only piece of his game missing right now is a three point shot. If he can get his three point shot up to about 35%, I think he'll be good. But Kyrie Thomas, I would imagine would play in the summer league, whoever they draft number two, which I'm sure we'll talk about. And whoever they draft at 23 and 24, I'm sure, will also participate in the summer league um, unless they package those picks and do something with it. And then K.J. Martin. I would also imagine K.J. Martin would play in the summer league. He looked really good to finish the season um, at the end of this past season. So his three-point shot was, like, very surprisingly legitimate. And so I'm sure that they're going to try to continue to develop him because he's still 19, 20, very young. So. Let's, let's pull the strings a little bit on, uh, on K.J. Martin that you just mentioned. Down the stretch last season, dude was a monster. Obviously, it was it was a lot of uh, a lot of Rockets guys that, that weren't playing. Uh, I believe they were running like seven man rotations, and KJ Martin was seeing like forty minutes a night, right? Like putting up like 
lines of like 2010, seven assists, like just going nuts. But like, do you see a role for him, like as a sixth, seventh man, or like, can he crack the starting lineup by any chance? Like, what what do you th- what do you see about, about KJ Martin and his prospects? Man, I okay. When we drafted him, I didn't know anything about him, and I was surprised. Kind of, we, we I'm pretty sure we purchased the pick. I think he was the 52nd or like 55th, somewhere in the 50s. And you know, Tillman, which Tillman Fertitta catches a lot of heat, and so I think he was trying to be conscious of you know changing his ways and so they purchased a second round pick for I think a couple million dollars something like that um and it was KJ Martin so I thought he was just going to be a dunker like an athlete dunker you know crazy springs blocking shots that type of thing he also showed in the season against NBA players which was surprising to me uh, an ability to kind of I don't want to say take people off the dribble but he could attack some closeouts he had some some flashes where he put the ball on the floor and went to the hoop and finished um, his three-point shot was very legitimate um, towards the end of the season. And that was like the big question mark, you know, like can KJ uh, hit threes? I think he finished the season shooting 36.5% from three, um, which, I mean, like I said, I would not have guessed. He did that on 96 attempts. So he was 35 of 96, not a full sample size, but I mean, pretty encouraging. Um, and if you want to pull up whatever he shot for like the last 15 or 20 games, I don't know for sure, but if I had to guess, I think it's, I think it was somewhere around like 37, somewhere between 37 and 39%. That kid has some of the best springs I've ever seen in my life. Not trying to exaggerate. Uh, his, his ability to jump is insane. Better than his father's. He was blocking. I mean, it became a thing for the Rockets, like Rockets fans. Every game, he would block just the biggest dude on the other team. He swatted Boban, swatted Rudy. Um, trying to think of like the other, like, just huge guys, but he just climbs ladders, climbs mountains, dunks, blocks. So I think he's got a role. Will he be a starter? Um, It depends. I don't think so. It just depends on what they do. The Rockets have a lot of, you know, kind of like a log jam in some ways, like in the backcourt at the very least, they've got John Wall, Kevin Porter Jr., DJ Augustine, Eric Gordon. They might add Jalen Green and whoever else they draft. So they have to figure that out. And then in the front court, Jay Sean Tate, Christian Wood, if they don't bring Kelly Olynyk back, um, you know, maybe, or if they draft Evan Mobley, they might have a log jam up front, but they might be able to start KJ, um, but he's just not big enough in the front court. So that's his kind of issue. He's a little tweener, but um, I definitely think there's a role for KJ, especially because him and Jay Sean Tate are on very team friendly deals. He reminds me a little bit of John Collins. Like you said, like, like sneaky athletic, like, you just watch him and then John Collins just all of a sudden like climbs a ladder for an oop and just like, it just goes nuts. Like I feel like KJ is that same kind of way, but Collins has like that draft capital and he had like, he has that starting role. I feel like like KJ could do that with a role like that. But obviously, like you said, like just going through the Rockets lineup, man, there is a log jam all over the place. Like it's a good problem to have with a, a young rebuilding squad uh, like Houston. Like there's definitely some, some uh, potential there with this squad. Yeah, and it's uh, like you said, man. It's a it's a good problem to have, and honestly, man, it seems like he, you know, KJ Martin probably has. Uh, I don't know if the highest ceiling, but one of the highest ceilings out of the players that are, you know, in the front court. You mentioned Olenek, um, you know, so I, I definitely think he can, if anything, come off the bench maybe for a six man role. Uh, but Roos, to your point, yeah, it depends on who they're going to take, right? So if it's Evan Mobley, I think K.J. Martin's role can definitely be uh, 
you know, very much diminished. Uh, but if it's Jalen Green, uh, that could be a different story. Um, so I'd kind of like to, to, you know, take this opportunity to ask you, who do you think is the pick at number two, man? Because um, I know who I would take if I was the Rockets, but uh, who are you looking at? Yeah, good question. Before I answer that, I just wanted to say in his last 12 games of the season, um, unless I counted wrong, which is totally possible, in his last 12 games of the season, K.J. Martin averaged 17 points, seven rebounds, two dimes, one steal, just under one block per game in 35 minutes per game on 52% from the field on 13 attempts, 39% from three on just under five attempts. And that's, I mean, that's impressive. So well, we had a, we had an episode before you, before you start with the second pick, we had an episode like 14 or 15 down the stretch in the fancy basketball playoffs. And it was called, it was titled get to start in KJ Martin. Cause like this dude just ate for fantasy squad down the stretch in the playoffs. So to your point, man, this dude was incredible for fantasy managers. Yeah, I'm sure he was like a, one of those waiver wire pickups that it's crazy, just like, oh, crazy. You know? So, okay, who's the number two pick, Zach? Um, man, it's tough. It's it's tough. I've been leaning towards Jalen Green, um, and I don't know if you're asking me who I want or who I think they're gonna pick. So the I kind of, I kind of, man, I want to know who who do you like better as a better fit, and who do you think the Rockets are gonna go for? So I, I'd like to know both. Okay. So I like Jalen Green right now, and I don't know if I'm in the moment um, and just kind of getting enamored with having a prospect that can do it all at the two. I mean, his ISO package is entirely there. He can do everything. He can shoot in any way, off, off movement, step back, catch and shoot. You know, he can sidestep. Like, he can do it all individually. Um, his playmaking obviously leaves some, some to be desired, although I think he kind of came on towards the end of the G League in terms of playmaking. I think he averaged four assists per game over like the last stretch. And with guys of his talent level, like a Devin Booker, they just naturally play make because they draw so much attention offensively. And they're usually high IQ guys with enough ability to like know who to find. And, you know, like 25 points, five, six assists type guys. So, so I like Jalen Green for those reasons. I don't like to draft. If, if you're, if you got the number two pick in the draft, I don't think you should draft based on fit. So I don't want to draft based on fit. However, I mean, Jalen Green and Kevin Porter Jr. in a backcourt together seems pretty awesome to me. And then if you tack Christian Wood on top of that with Jay Sean Tate, like, I really like that. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, Evan Mobley is really interesting. If he hits his potential, I mean, he could be like, I don't know, like a, like a more defensive-minded, maybe, like a more defensive-minded Carl Anthony Towns, although that's giving him a lot of credit giving Mobley a lot of credit on offense, which he doesn't necessarily have yet compared to Towns. But it's like, my thing with Mobley is I'm wary of, <clears throat> I'm wary of big guys holding up. A lot of them get injured, you know, for every cat, uh, for every unicorn or whatever, there's a Porzingis, there's a Lowry Markinen, you know, there's whatever, you name it, there's a Mo Bamba. Um, and so I'm kind of worried about that. Like Evan Mobley's sell is potential, right? Oh my God, look at those moves and skills for a guy his size. What I don't know, and I would need to watch him like live to understand and assess this, is are those moves going to translate against NBA talent? You know, like, yeah, he can do the between the legs behind the back. Is that going to get him by his man in the NBA? I don't think so. Not yet. Uh, if he can't get by his man, is he going to have a pull up to finish over the top? You know, becoming Giannis, it took Giannis four years to become Giannis to, to you know, hit that like 20 plus whatever and then 
he continued to ascend from there. He put on a lot of muscle. Like Giannis looked like a toothpick coming into the league. Can Evan Mobley do that? Can his body hold up if slash when he does that? Just so many question marks. Defensively, he's got length. A lot of Rockets fans love the length. He does get bullied on the block, though. Uh, bigger guys can dip there. Like a Nurkic will, will push him around. Jokic will push him around. We saw that happen. Rockets fans saw that happen with Christian Wood. So all those things kind of worry me. To your question of who will the Rockets take, they recently hired Chris Wallace, uh, who was formerly with the Grizzlies, who drafted, uh, I think, Hashim to beat LOL, and who also, I think, drafted uh, Jaron Jackson. So there's that, right? I mean, that would kind of give you some insight into what that guy thinks. On the other hand, well, not even on the other hand, in conjunction with that, they also hired some scouts from the Stepien. And if you look at some of their work, some of those guys seem to be inclined towards a guy like Mobley. But then when you, when you consider Rafael Stone, the Rockets GM, my opinion of him so far in his short tenure has been that he, he just knows Hoopers. Like he found Jay Sean Tate. Um, I think Ben McLemore had a lot to do with him. David Nwaba, like guys that are under the radar that can ball. Sterling Brown, you know, they may not fit um, some like, I don't know, scouting report, analytic, whatever that would, that would translate into like, oh my God, this guy's going to be awesome. But he seemed to have found them and they succeeded. I've heard from a couple folks that the Rockets really like Jalen Green. Um, but I don't, I don't know who they're going to pick. So I think I could see them going either way. I hope they pick Jalen Green based on what I'm seeing right now. He's 19. Like I said, he's got the whole package. He's got the mentality, which is huge for me. I don't mean to be stereotypical, but if someone has all the ability and they want to be as great as they can be, then no one else can stop them. And believe it or not, there are a lot of guys that treat the NBA like a nine to five. You know, they just kind of show up and hoop and collect their check. I can't blame them because we all may not like our nine to fives. But some people do treat the NBA, you know, like a nine to five and some people don't. And a guy like Jalen Green seems to not. So that matters. So that's where I'm at. That's my long winded way of saying that's where I'm at. OK, yeah. So it uh, sounds like we're in agreement there, man. Uh, if it was me, I'd go green as well. Um, and up until a couple months ago, I think I think Mobley seemed like the more sure pick, you know, for the Rockets and, uh, uh, you know, for a lot of you know fans at large, myself included. Uh, but yeah, man, that fit with uh, Kevin Porter Jr. in that backcourt. And they're, it seems like they're, you know, if not buddies, at least they're communicating. I mean, we've seen it on social media, on Instagram. Uh, Kevin Porter Jr. put out yesterday on Twitter, I'm a point guard, you know, kind of referencing, hey, I can, I can play point. Jalen Green, as you mentioned, is that natural too, that it, he's just going to go get you a bucket, right? So, uh, you know, Kevin Porter Jr. as the primary facilitator, Green getting some buckets, uh, you know, Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, uh, Kenya Martin. It's just it seems like that would be an excellent young core. Um, and I think there's more question marks um, maybe around Evan Mobley, like you mentioned, with his size and durability uh, and maybe his offense translating to the to the NBA. So I think Green for me is is a better fit and the guy that I would go with as well. Bruce, you, you and I were chopping it up on Twitter the other day about about John Wall sort of being one foot out the door. Like, you got Kevin Porter Jr. over here talking about how he's a point guard with a bag next to it. Like, is is does John Wall have a place on this rebuilding squad? Obviously, that contract is ginormic. And he's not one of those guys who's going to, like, go to a different team and help them win a championship, right? Like, 
So, so what is John Wall's future in this league? Is it with the Rockets? You know, I have a lot of love for John Wall, um, especially with the Harden stuff. He took that personally and he embodied, you know, some of that for a lot of fans. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw this. There was a running joke where John Wall <laughs> in like every interview shortly after that and for a while after Harden left in every interview, he would just say, you know what? We got guys that want to be here. We got guys that want to be here, just like taking shots at Harden. Um, and so I got love for him for that. And he was our tank commander. Okay. Anytime, anytime, <laughs> you know, the Rockets looked like they were going to maybe win a game that we did not want them to win. <laughs> give the rock to wall, baby. He would, uh, he went ISO mode, hero mode and just blew it. But um, will he be with the Rockets? I don't, I just don't see a place with this team. Unfortunately, um, he's still got game left, man. The Rockets were 11 and 10 at one point. Okay. Through their first 21. And I tweeted about this. I forget the numbers, but uh, if you find my, it was a recent thread, um, but John Wall played 13 of those games. Okay. The Rockets were, I think nine and four in those 13 games that John Wall played through the first 21 when they were 11 and 10. And they were 11 and 10 at that point, like eighth or seventh or ninth or something in the West. I think they were in the playoff race. <clears throat> John Wall was actually having pretty good numbers. Um, I think he was shooting like 38% from three. I forget his field goal percentage. I think he was averaging maybe like 20 and like seven. I can't remember, but he was playing well. And so the point was, there was a world where John Wall, Christian Wood, Jay Sean Tate, um, the other guys, I guess the other guys started moving around at that point. Um, and, and switching out in and out of the lineup with injuries and all that stuff. But there was a world where those three guys were leading a team that was in the playoff race. And that's before Kevin Porter Jr. played his single, single minute with the Rockets. And that's before Kelly Olynyk became a Rocket. Victor Oladipo kind of came and everything just got mucked up. But my point is, there was a world where John Wall was leading a team that was in the playoff race for the Rockets. Now, what is his place? That contract's ridiculous, right? So if the Rockets want to build around it, it'll be kind of tough, especially with Eric Gordon's contract also on the books. There is a world though, where, and this is not likely, but I'm just saying, if those guys hit, right, if Christian Wood gets naturally improves as most people expect him to, or even if he comes back with the same production, he had a great season in my opinion. Jay Sean Tate will at least gradually incrementally improve. Um, whoever they drafted to, Mobley, Jalen Green, whatever, they're going to have more talent there's a world where John Wall could be the veteran for those guys and they could be like a six seed, maybe. <laughs> I don't think that's gonna happen, but they could, it, it, technically it could, theoretically. Um, more realistically, John Wall needs to go to a team like the Knicks or the Clippers, maybe the Lakers if they strike out on you know all their other potential targets. Basically a team that could use him because he's still got some juice left, but that doesn't need him to be their everything. He can't be your everything on a winning team. He can be a solid point guard. Um, his stats totally dipped when they started playing with G League guys in and out of the rotation. And he basically felt like he had to do it all because he can't do it all anymore. He just can't, not efficiently. Um, and so that's when John Wall kind of changed. But I tried to highlight those first 21 games because before all everything, you know, shit hit the fan, like John Wall was leading a, a playoff team. And so I think he has value. His contract makes it difficult. He might get bought out. Um, but I really want to see Kevin Porter Jr. play point guard. That tweet surprised the hell out of me. Um, I don't think it was a shot at John Wall, but I don't think he realized that it can definitely be a shot at John Wall. It's definitely, you know? it's definitely a low key shot at John Wall. Like, right. even if like, like he said, he's telling you like he want this one, he wants this to be his squad. Like he wants to run this squad. And like you said, like 
if if Jason Tate can't shoot a three, Kevin Porter Jr. is not a two guard, right? And you put John Wall at the point guard who also isn't very efficient from three. Now you got three guys, one through three, who can't really shoot the three ball very well. Like, I don't know if that works. I think I think you're right. I think John Wall needs to be on the way out. I think he needs to go to a team like New York where we, we were talking about uh, with Scott Engel a couple weeks ago, how they needed a point guard to run that team with Julius Randle and R.J. Barrett. Um, so for sure, I think uh, I think Wall's better off on a on a different team, but uh, we'll, we'll see what the future holds here. Yeah, someone on Twitter mentioned like, "Hey, John Wall could be the Rockets' version of Phoenix's version of Chris Paul this year," and I, you know, it's like that's very generous. Um, you know, not quite. He could be a <laughs> it could be a lesser version of that. So that's you know, I could see him kind of plugging that role. But but I'm with you. Kevin Porter Jr. can't really shoot. Um, well, actually, he's been working on it, so I'll, the jury's out. I think he can shoot. He just hasn't proven it at the NBA level. But regardless, him, John Wall, and Sean Tate in the same backcourt is just mucked up. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. speaking of backcourts, you know, Eric Gordon's still there on a pretty hefty deal. I mean, he's getting like 18 mil a year. I think he's probably more coveted than John Wall um, in terms of contending teams, right? Like, everybody needs that, sh- that, stretch, um, that stretch wingman that can, that can pull up. And uh, so what are your thoughts on Eric Gordon and curious of what you're, what you're, what you think about, excuse me, Kelly Olenek as well. Cause he's going to be an unrestricted free agent. Do you think there's any chance that they re him up being that he played really well for the Rockets um, averaging 19 and eight over the, his time with the, with Houston? Yeah, man, let's go one by one. Eric Gordon um, love everything he's done for the Rockets has hit some of the, the biggest shots in their playoff runs over the last you know few years with the Harden and Chris Paul teams. Anyway, so, Eric Gordon, I think, is going to do what he does every year. He's going to come out hot. He's going to look good. And then hopefully he doesn't get injured, but he might. Now, if he comes out hot, hopefully the Rockets can sell high um, because he does have value. I mean, John Wall is getting like $45 million a year, I think, on average. $90 million over the next two years. I think it's broken out like 43 and 47 one year. I'm not sure. Eric Gordon's getting 18, which is much more palatable than, than 40 plus, right? Um, he can be like a microwave scorer off a bench. He can be a fill-in starter. He plays pretty good defense. Um, and if he was on the right team, like I could see if the Warriors would want to plug in an Eric Gordon when if Clay like can't go on certain nights, or even like a LeBron could get use out of Eric Gordon. The Knicks, like I feel like the Knicks could use everybody. The the Sixers, right? The Sixers could use someone to continue to spread the floor. He's got value. Um, it's just a matter of is he going to be hurt? And is he giving you one of those like classic Eric Gordon, you know, shooting 33.8% from three on nine attempts per game? Or is he giving you the Eric Gordon that's a little more tempered, a little more measured and efficient? If you look at the numbers from this past season, his three ball was still not falling very well, but he had, I think by far his best career numbers in terms of two point percentage. He was driving and finishing like relentlessly. Um, it, it It was really nice to see. And his efficiency numbers as a result of that we're back. Like his TS percentage was pretty good. If someone wants to look it up and confirm, I can't remember, but I think it was high fifties. Um, so he's still got game is my point. And I think that there's a world where the Rockets can sell him without attaching an asset. If he comes out hot and they get rid of him soon, because he just doesn't have a, a place. And quite frankly, I think he's owed, he's paid his dues as a veteran and he's owed a chance to kind of go somewhere, you know, and do something with it. Um, kind of like the Rockets did with PJ Tucker, you know, they, they were able to send him to a contender. 
Kelly Olynyk was incredible. Yo, he was incredible. <laughs> I, don't, I don't even know how it happened. Honestly, like everyone clowns the Rockets for the, the Nets trade. Kelly Olynyk was the best thing to come out of that, obviously, aside from the picks. Um, I don't remember his numbers, 19 and 9, I think. His efficiency was crazy, though. At one point, his TS percentage was in the 70s. I think he finished in like the low 60s, um, you know, shooting the three ball like 39%. I think overall from the field, he was like 55%, just ridiculous. And you really saw in an offense with Steven Silas what a high IQ skilled big man that can pass and shoot could really do. Um, and I think Kelly Olynyk was that. The question is going to be, what's the market for Kelly Olynyk? Um, my thinking on it is, is there a contender that would want to pay him more than the MLE, more than the mid-level exception? Like, is there a contender that thinks that paying him more than that uh, puts them over the top? I have trouble seeing that, really. You know, I have trouble seeing a team saying, yo, let's, let's, go, bake, uh, let's go break the bank for Olenek, you know? Maybe Boston? I don't think so. Um, and then the, on the flip side of that, you know, is there a rebuilder that thinks throwing the bag at 30-year-old Kelly Olenek is worth it? I don't know. I don't know who would want to do that. Um, so that's kind of the thing with Kelly Olenek. Good player, had a great run with the Rockets. He's going to get some attention, but I just don't know if teams think that he will put them over the top and thus warrant more than the mid-level exception. The Rockets can offer him the mid-level, I think. Um, I'm not a cap guy, but I'm pretty sure the Rockets have, after they sign their rookie contracts and all that, I think they'll have approximately $29 million to work with. And I think that, again, I'm not a cap guy, but due to whatever restrictions, they'll be able to offer no more than the MLE to anyone individually. So, And he liked his fit. He mentioned liking Houston. He mentioned that he enjoyed and embraced the role of, you know, being the veteran to the young guys and kind of bringing them along. Um, he did also mention being at a stage in his career where, where winning was important as well. So it's just going to, it's going to come down to a, how highly do the Rockets value him and what do they offer him and B what is the market for him in general? And then C what are the factors for him? There's a world where they bring him back. I mean, yeah. I can see, I can see bringing him back and having Christian Wood, Kelly Olenek, Jay Sean Tate, Jalen Green, and Kevin Porter Jr. Like I would yeah. like that. If they go, if they go Mobley, you have, you'd have to think that Olenek wouldn't, wouldn't be coming back. But right. I think, I think a lot of those Olenek numbers, like you said, he, he took on that leadership role amongst a bunch of, you know, 22 and under kind of guys. And I think his numbers were probably a little bit inflated because of that. But I do think that there's a role for him on another squad, kind of like the Rockets, like a young rebuilding squad where he can kind of get the bag uh, and also be in that leadership type role. So from a fantasy perspective, if he joins another team like that and gets a starting job, like look for him to put up some pretty decent numbers uh, with some good efficiency as well. I just wanted to tack on real quick. Um, I just looked this up. Yeah, they can, uh, they can re-sign him without using the mid-level exception. Um, and Eric Gordon's true shooting percentage, you were right last season, 57.7%. So almost dead on the money on that one. There you go. What can they offer, Kelly? What's the max they can offer him? Oh, because they have his, they probably have his bird rights, huh? I believe so. Uh, I don't see that right here. I will keep looking for that number, though. Well, I was going to say, um, while, while Zach looks that up, I was going to say, uh, Adam, you mentioned good numbers, bad team. A lot of people think that, including myself. But when you watch it, 
like I'm talking, this man was hitting step back threes, you know, like there's good numbers on a bad team. And then there's like, yo, when did Kelly Olenek start doing that? <laughs> and I think, I think some of it has to do with just having freedom, man. Like we all play pickup recreational basketball. And so we all have a feel for, you know, when you're on and when you're off and anytime I'm on, there is like a, a mindless, just freedom. You know, I'm not thinking about what I'm doing. I'm just catching and shooting, you know, moving without even putting thought into it. And when I watched him, it looked effortless like that. He was just free. There was rhythm. There was chemistry. He was, he felt trusted probably by the coaching staff. And they were probably like, yo, shoot, we don't care. Shoot. And he didn't feel obli- and he didn't feel obligated to get Jimmy Butler the ball like he did in Miami, right? Like, <laughs> like you said, like freedom, man, means something. It does, man. And like a lot of people forget that we get caught up in numbers. And like I said, this kind of touched on this earlier, but we're at the highest level of the game. All these guys can play. It's just about some of them need better situations to bring out the best in them, you know. And we, I think we've seen a lot of that in different ways lately. So, yeah. And speaking of situations, um, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Christian Wood. And, you know, from a fantasy perspective, ESPN, CBS, Yahoo, they all disrespected this man. Um, we were at Fantasy Pros. That's how we all met each other. And we were all very high on Christian Wood's value, like top 50, um, because we saw this dude when he was in Detroit on a per minute basis. This guy was a 2010, you know, walking double double easily. And I feel like we were shortchanged a little bit by his ankle injury this year. I think that kind of held him back. But just want to get your thoughts on his upside going forward and how excited you are as him being one of the cornerstone pieces of your franchise. Dude, I think you nailed it. 2010 in his sleep. Okay. He's tremendous. Like he can do anything. Um, his skill, his skill set is very, very rare. I see some Rockets fans like fantasizing about trading him. Um, you know, while a lot of people theorize like, Oh, his value's high. He doesn't fit the rebuild timeline. We should trade him while he's got high value, blah, blah, blah. First of all, his deal is only like 13, 14 million a year. So just in terms of matching salaries, like, I don't know what you're expecting to net in terms of trading high. <clears throat> Second, um, screw a timeline, you know, like these guys want to play. You can't treat it like 2K. You have Kevin Porter Jr., Jay Sean Tate on absolute team-friendly deals, KJ Martin, Christian Woods on a team-friendly deal. You're going to be drafting Jalen Green or, or Evan Mobley, who will also be on a team-friendly deal. And it's kind of like in football when when a team drafts like their star quarterback that starts blossoming on their rookie contract and they can splurge, you know, and surround that quarterback with like an offensive line or defensive pieces. You know what I mean? They can build the team the right way and kind of contend out of the gate. Am I saying the Rockets can contend out of the gate? No, but Christian Wood and you have his bird rights, right? So you can bring him back and fit him into that timeline. So I think 2010 is his like floor. Um, And I think he showed that this season he can score on his own. He can take guys off the dribble. He can catch and shoot. Every now and then he's got a mid-range. If you look at the numbers, it's probably not friendly to him, but he can hit it. Um, and once he gets confident and gets his move down, he doesn't really have his mid-range move to get to that shot, to get to that spot, but he's close. His upside, um, or his room for improvement, I should say, is defensively. He wasn't very good defensively on the block against bigger guys. Kind of got bullied around a little bit. He's pretty thin. He's like, 610, 6'11, like 215. Um, so if he adds a little bit of weight and can carry that weight, then that would be his room for improvement. But yeah, on the right team, 
I mean, if he doesn't get hurt, he's 22 and 10, 20 and 10 plus block and a half assist or two on good efficiency. Like his, his TS percentage, I also think was in the high fifties. I think he shot like 38% from three at the end of the season on like four or five attempts per game. So <clears throat> he's, he's really an Anthony Davis light. Does he have that triple, uh, triple threat, like jab from the elbow and like that butter mid range? No. Um, and is he defensively what Anthony Davis is? No. But just as far as a prototype stretch five, like long, big, like, dude, he's, he's very, very legit. Can he be, can he be a successful five on a winning squad? Like we see, you know, everybody thinks like it's gotta be, it's, we're called the stretch four. So, you know, those guys, a lot of times are better off playing that stretch four position and have another big body down low. Like we see with the, with the bucks, you got even Brooke Lopez who can put a body on DeAndre Ayton a little bit and DeAndre Ayton, obviously for the Suns. Like, can Christian Wood be, you know, big enough to hold up with the Nurkic's, the Jokic's, the Vucevic's, guys like that? Yeah, the Vich's. Um... The Vich. <laughs> I love it. That's our, that's our sound bite. There you go. <laughs> um, the Vich's. So, <laughs> Vich's get stitches. Now, so, um, I will say it just depends, man. It's all matchups. And, and that's why basketball is not a game of absolutes, right? So, year to year, we see a different style. Like, I'll say this to answer your question in like a, I don't know, kind of convenient way. Had James Harden not left, they could have, I, I mean, given the injuries that happened in the West, they could have made it to the finals. Maybe they wouldn't have, but you have James Harden, if they had Russell Westbrook, maybe even John Wall, Christian Wood, role players, like, I think they could have easily made the second round of the playoffs and possibly gone further. So it just depends. Can he bang with Aiton and, and the Viches? No. Um, but it, it's, it's matchup specific. So you can get a guy for those types of minutes and, or you get yourself in a position where you're playing these guys off the court with Christian Wood at the five so that now they have to match up to you, you know? Um, so it could go any which way. Um, is he a post banger? No. Could he be a winner on a, a winning five? I think so. I mean, he's dude, he's good offensively. He's got it all. There's nothing he can't do offensively. Um, so yeah, I think so. So, yeah, Roosh, just want to get your thoughts. We got game three tonight. Uh, we're going to be – obviously, this podcast is going to be hitting tomorrow. So, want to get your thoughts on the NBA series – on the NBA final series, man. Do you think that the Bucks can make it competitive or is this going to be a uh, a sun sweep or possible gentleman sweep in your mind? I think Milwaukee will make it competitive. Um, I think the first two games – well, I think the second game was a little closer than it felt like towards the end. Um, especially with Chris Middleton having an off night and Drew having an off night. I think the home crowd is going to matter, which I won't get into the bubble, but home crowds matter. And so um, I think that will, that will help. They'll have three in a row unless the format changed, but they'll have three in a row in Milwaukee. So I think they'll get a couple. I think I expect Milwaukee to go two and one in Milwaukee. Um, Phoenix is a very good team, but Milwaukee's also good. I just think that, Milwaukee plays like a weird style because Richard Jefferson touched on this and I saw people trashing this, but I kind of agreed with it. When Giannis is at his best, it's hard for the other two, the other guys to get going, right? We just talked about freedom. We just talked about rhythm and chemistry. I feel like Giannis being at his best is kind of at the expense of everything else in terms of space um, because he doesn't space because him at his best is him just trucking from the top of the key and finishing. And I think that can make it hard 
Because basically, if Drew and Chris Middleton are having poor individual games, everything goes off the rails, right? They don't have a way to compensate for that. They don't have a way to make up for that. Um, whereas Phoenix can hit you from multiple angles. Chris Paul can kind of stop the bleeding going to the mid-range. They run a pick and roll, and they can go over the top to Aiton. Devin Booker can go off at any given time. Mikhail Bridges has had an incredible playoff run. So I think Phoenix is the better team. I think Milwaukee's got the better top-end talent on paper, but I just don't think it translates into like a, a free-flowing game. With that said, with that. though, yeah. you agree with that? Why? I do. I think the, 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 Suns, the Suns play a, uh, a completely different brand of basketball than the Bucs. Uh, Chris Paul, just the way, the way he involves his teammates – like they don't, I mean, Booker's a stud, but other than Booker, like I wouldn't call, I wouldn't call Chris Paul like this, this bona fide superstar who's going to just get you buckets all like he's been, he's been doing that. But I think it's, it's his, it's his ability to get the rest of the team involved, his ability to utilize the pick and roll and get the switch, like get Brooke Lopez on him. Like he's just so his, his basketball IQ is just through the roof. And like you said, like Milwaukee's got that, that top level talent with, Giannis Middleton and Drew Holiday but you know we saw in game two Giannis put up 42 points and you know he was the focal point and nobody else was was getting the sh hidden shots and look what happens like you can't you can't just revolve around Giannis whereas like the Suns any any given game you can have five guys go for 15 16 plus and if if Mikel Bridges is going for 27 and hitting all his threes are wide open because of Chris Paul I right? think Consistency, man. It, you touched on it already, but um, and Roosh mentioned too that you know with Middleton's having an off night, which he hasn't looked good in these finals. He really hasn't. Um, and if Drew Holiday's not, because uh, to me Holiday's the X factor. Uh, I mean, when he's really on his game, getting teammates involved, uh, getting to the hoop and and scoring on some of those fancy spin moves that he's known for, and you know hitting those mid range shots. I mean, the team overall is so much better. Um, but you know what you're getting from the Suns every night. You know what you're getting from Booker. You're getting 25 points and, and you know, three or four rebounds, three or four assists. Chris Paul is going to do his thing. DeAndre Ayton has just been balling out in these playoffs, uh, 16 and 15 in the finals. Uh, but, yeah, Milwaukee's just not consistent night to night. Um, but I do agree that they're going to steal, you know, one, at least one at home uh, just because they are so much better at home. I mean, they've shown that in the playoffs for sure. Yeah, I would just add that um, I think Coach Bud has is he's not giving I don't know I think it's the defensive matchups really like I think the 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 Bucks continue to leave some meat on the bone in terms of um, you know their decision to run Pat Connington late in the game um, instead of Brooke Lopez I think that that really hurt him you know as much as Brooke Lopez has been feasted on he's still really good defensively and they, they just need someone that's able to. You know, maybe it's just them closing out better, hedging better. Um, Drew Holiday was picking up Chris Paul full court. I don't think you need to do that. Um, I think there's a, those little in-game adjustments would really do the Bucks a good uh, – would do the Bucks a lot better in terms of staying with the, the Phoenix Suns. And the Phoenix Suns' depth is crazy. You know, Torrey Craig may not play, but, you know, Cam Johnson's been playing great off the bench. Cam Payne, I did not think that dude was good, honestly. Like, he's got a weird jump shot kind of awkward looking, but he's quick as hell. And uh, he's really played very well. And I think Chris Paul, I think ultimately the Suns are just the leadership of Chris Paul, the IQ. He's got that team um, in the right position to, to, to win it all. And I don't think Chris Paul's, he understands how hard it's been to get to this point. He ain't fucking it up. 
I agree with that. I also wanted to add, um, Milwaukee's got guys like PJ Tucker, right? PJ Tucker and Brooke Lopez that offensively, they've just kind of been treated like spot up shooters. I mean, PJ Tucker can only spot up shoot from one spot on the floor, which is the corner. Um, and so the, just that lack of versatility, I think hurts them. And it kind of reminds me of the 2019 Rockets, right? There were a lot of times where Harden was doing what Harden did and other guys just got to stand and watch. And I'm not saying that the other Bucks were standing and watching, but when you are revolving around your top end guy, just getting buckets, it's kind of hard to get into that free flowing type of basketball, right? Like you'll see Giannis, it's almost like desperation. They're like, okay, we need a bucket. What do I do? What do I do? And you see Giannis just charge up from three and just try something, you know, it's not, it's not purposeful basketball. Whereas Chris Paul is playing purposeful basketball, right? He's like saying, yo, set the screen on the baseline, run over there. We're going to pop some action open. And then someone's going to be open on the weak side. Like he knows what he's looking for and they get it. Whereas the bucks are just like a uh, turbo button dunk, you know, it's just, just doesn't hit the same in, in a series when everyone knows what you're doing. Everyone's waiting for what you're doing and your star player can't shoot. Totally agree. So yeah, to wrap up this show, man, um, we have this little thing that we do here. We have all of our guests spit a freestyle before they leave. So uh, you want to continue the trend here? No, I'm just fucking with you. Um, I was going to say, <laughs> that is not what you do. <laughs> that means you listen to the show, though. I'm with it. I'm with it. <laughs> um, but Roosh, tell, tell the folks what you're working on and where they can find you. Yeah, man. Um, I'm mainly on Twitter. I don't really use anything else these days. Um, so Twitter, R-O-O-S-H Williams, Roosh Williams. Um, you can find the Noble and Roosh show anywhere you get your podcast. We have an episode coming out with Trey Murphy, a prospect out of Virginia. That should be coming out maybe tomorrow or Tuesday. Um, and yeah, just look for me talking about the draft as the Rockets, as the draft comes up and the Rockets kind of, you know, get their feet wet. And um, when the season kicks in, man, I'm excited. I'm excited for, for Kevin Porter Jr. So I'll be talking a lot about Kevin Porter Jr. and Christian Wood. So appreciate Love to you guys it. having me on. Yeah, appreciate you guys having me on, yeah. man. Definitely down to do it again. Um, yeah, man. Thanks for showing love. Hell yeah. And I know Zach, Zach, that was music to Zach's ears, man. He's been screaming from the mountaintops about Kevin Porter Jr.'s upside. So, uh, yeah, that, that made him feel great. 50 and 11, so, man. Yeah. 50 and 11, bro. When I yes, saw sir. that. So, dudes, don't do that. They don't, man. They don't. Now, people always say, I think uh, Brandon Jennings did that once, like, when he was younger. So, that's, like, the cautionary tale. Hope he's not Brandon Jennings. But other than that, man, 50 and 11. I still don't know why Cleveland gave him away. I know they had issues, but, like, was it worth that? I don't know. Mm. They messed up on that one. So, yeah, catch us next week. We'll be talking to uh, Zach Harper of The Athletic, talking about some draft stuff, man. We're going to continue to give you guys some great content, talk to some of the industry heads that we know that we can get some inside info to kind of shape your fantasy season as we're getting into the next season. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Until then, peace.